0: Thanks, Sam. Morning, everyone. It's great to see you guys this morning. Sam mentioned uh, my name is Young, lead pastor here at New Life. Um, I saw a lot of you guys here on Friday, but to be honest, it was hard to recognize people. There was a great big shining uh, spotlight on my face, so I was quite blind uh, on that day. Have you guys heard the news that Jesus is alive? Isn't that exciting? Jesus is alive. On Good Friday, we watched his agony. We watched something that is a little bit uncomfortable to us as we saw him beaten, uh, mocked, scorned before being crucified, and we were witnesses to his death. Along with all of uh, his disciples, we are witnesses to these things. But today, uh, we hear quite unbelievable news. It's a reversal of a lot of the heartache, the hopelessness that we felt over the last three days. And if this is news to you, if this is your first time perhaps in a church building or perhaps with us, uh, like you don't know about the resurrection, then welcome, Um, as Sam mentioned. We're really glad that you're here. Um, I'm especially excited that the Lord has brought you to new life specifically this morning. Uh, Whether you're totally new here or you've been here for a while but never really fully understood the resurrection, or appreciated the resurrection. We're really glad that you are here. And I'm glad that you can hear the good news this morning and come to know God's love for you. However, I do recognize a lot of you guys have been around for quite a while. You guys have been around at uh, maybe Mother Church Hezun, or perhaps you've been at different churches. And if the resurrection is familiar to you, if you're a follower of Christ, I think one thing that I mentioned on Friday as well, and one thing that we have to recognize is that this is news that we skip over sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Like, it becomes just a part of our language. It becomes just a part of what we do at church or what we do with church people, and it ends up doing nothing to our hearts. You know, maybe this is a really familiar feeling to you. Come to church, listen, walk away, and forget everything I said. You know, this might be a very, very familiar feeling for you. I love and hate this, not the part where you forget everything I say, but I love and hate that we have something that's very common to us when it comes to the language of Scripture, when it comes to the language of resurrection. Because I love it because it's something that we can constantly remind each other of. You know, we can always talk to each other. You don't need me to talk to you about it. You can talk to each other, and that's beautiful, and I would never change that. But I do hate that sometimes it can become just this thing that we say, just something that we say with no meaning behind it. You know, the resurrection of Jesus is the single most breathtaking thing that has ever happened. How can we possibly talk about this gospel of grace with the same kind of impact as something like, hey, how's it going? You know, and then we don't really answer. We just say, yeah, good, how are you? You know. We wanted to allow to have more impact on our hearts and dictate our feelings and our lives in a greater way. There's this—you uh, know—superheroes are back in vogue, and in the visual novel *Watchmen*, some of you guys might have read this. One of the characters, he philosophizes about human life. You know, he becomes a superhero and he starts musing. We gaze continually at the world, and it grows dull in our perceptions yet seen from another's vantage point, as if new, it may still take our breath away. And the prayer this morning is that we will be able to experience the resurrection of Jesus Christ with that kind of freshness. That grace will be renewed in all of our hearts as God reveals to us the reality of his son's resurrection. with that in mind, why don't you pray with me and then we'll get straight into the passage. Father, we thank you. Easter Sunday 2021, it feels so different from Easter Sunday of last year, and yet it's so constantly been in our hearts, God, in your heart indeed. And perhaps it hasn't moved us in the past, but today we pray that we, as people that live in great darkness, would see a great light. And that we would see the great light of your son Jesus as a stone is rolled away, as a tomb stands empty. May the tomb of our hearts be made new. May they be flesh and blood once again as a pump for your son Jesus. Give us new life in him, God. Help us, Lord, to look with freshness upon the resurrection and to see our lives come alive as well, God. May we truly be excited for this news. And may we truly speak with new life to one another, building each other up in the faith, God. Uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our eyes, that you would keep us awake throughout this time, God, that you would help us, Lord, to seek you and to know you and to love you. We want our hearts to be set ablaze for you once again, God. Be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we were made for a faithful covenant relationship with God, loving God enjoying Him forever. Now when I say these words, if you have no sense of what loving God and enjoying Him is, if you have no sense of what that feels like, then take this time, this Easter Sunday, to remove anything in your hearts, in your minds, that might block you from these things, that might stand in the way of your heart, and see that God wants you to know Him. He wants you to know Him, and He wants this to bring you life. You specifically. A couple of days on Good Friday, um, if you were here with us, we did something that might feel a little bit unusual when it comes to church, because we often talk about the gospel of grace, right? We talk about the resurrection of Jesus, but on Friday, we intentionally stopped ourselves from getting to the gospel. Taken out of context, this might put me out of a job, right? That we intentionally stopped ourselves, we looked at the suffering and death of Jesus but we stopped short of the resurrection, very specifically, even though we knew that Easter was around the corner. If you were here with us, what effect did this have on you? If you weren't able to join us, what effect do you think that this would have on you if you stop yourself short of the resurrection and focus solely on the death, the suffering of Jesus? In a world where no resurrection happened, does your life look the same Or does it feel a little bit different? How did keeping yourself from the resurrection affect your thoughts and your heart towards God? Our passage this morning, Mark 16, starts off like this. Verses one to four, reading from the CSB, it's on screen behind me as well. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. After Jesus died, his disciples scattered in fear. Joseph and Nicodemus, if you've read through the gospels before, you might recognize these guys. They take the dead body to be buried, And though they bring spices, they don't have enough time to fully dress up the body before sundown brings them into Sabbath. And so Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph and and James, make a plan to come back after the Sabbath with more spices to make sure that Jesus is at least given a proper burial. That's on their minds. We need to at least bury this Jesus that we were following properly. And this is where we left off on Good Friday, with Jesus' burial, in the tomb. Now today, we see Mary Magdalene Mary the mother of James and Salome buy more spices in order to anoint the dead body of Jesus and they return to the tomb at sunrise. And their experience and the experience of all the disciples was a world with no resurrection so far. So far, they're going through life and there is no resurrection. It's a world with no hope remaining. The one that they put all of their hope in, the one that held all the weight of their expectations was disgraced. He was stripped naked publicly, he was beaten, hung upon a cross to die outside of the city gates in obscurity. They made an example of this man. And then the day after was the darkest, most silent Sabbath that they could remember. They didn't work as per Jewish custom. This is what the Sabbath entailed. They were just to rest. And so they had all the time in the world to sit in their thoughts and just reflect. Similar to what we were hoping, you know, that you would have done yesterday as well if you were there at Good Friday. And all of the expectation that they had placed on Jesus must have fallen back onto them. Things were supposed to change. Things were supposed to be different. Jesus was supposed to come and make things right for us That's what they were were thinking. What do we do when God doesn't meet our expectations just the way that we want? Think about this, when you pray, when you think about things, and you imagine your life to be a certain way, if it doesn't turn out that way, what do you do? Most times, we're not very comfortable thinking that maybe the problem was with our expectations rather than wondering if maybe our finite minds weren't able to perceive God's infinitely greater thoughts and vast plans. We move God into our realm where we're more comfortable sitting, where we're more comfortable thinking in. So we get ready to dress God up in burial gear because we're stuck thinking in ways that we're familiar with and our expectations remain seated on the throne of our minds and our hearts. Our expectations don't change. Our God changes in our hearts and minds. What happens in here in this passage today? It starts off very humorous. Like just read this with me. It's very relatable. As they approach the tomb, the two Marys and Salome, they prepare everything they need to anoint Jesus' corpse. And then suddenly they remember something on the way. To the tomb. Wait, there's this giant stone blocking the tomb. How are we going to anoint Jesus' body if we can't even get in? How are we going to push this giant rock out of the way? And then they wonder aloud oh, wait a minute, who's going to move the stone for us? It's very similar to, I think, how we would react. Do you ever do this? Like, you get all ready to go away on a trip, you got your clothes all packed. You have your phone charger, your toothbrush, you're going through the mental notes in your head, get to the airport, passport please. What? Like, what do you mean passport? And you hope maybe they'll just let you through and it doesn't happen anymore. When they get there, they see that the stone has been rolled away already. Read with me verses five to eight. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb, because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since They were afraid. So, sitting inside this tomb is a young man dressed in a white robe, seems pretty normal. He tells them, Don't be afraid. Jesus has been raised. And he tells them to go and tell the disciples about this that Jesus will meet them in Galilee just as he said that he would. And the women leave, afraid and astonished, unsure of just what's happening in this situation. They clearly saw Jesus die. They witnessed this themselves. They saw that he was buried in that tomb. Could this really be true? It seems like the young man is not just some young man in white, it's some sort of a heavenly messenger. You know, there's no reason for them to be so frightened. When we've seen the divine appear and interact with humanity throughout the Bible, angels will usually tell people, don't be afraid. And then invariably, they'll be very afraid because humans seem to, when they come up against something that can just take their life from them, you know, there's a different level of power. Their power level is greater, right? So they seem to be overcome by dread and terror as they realize their place in front of divine beings. Maybe even the fact that the robes appear white in the darkness of a tomb. Have you ever been in a completely dark place with no windows before? You know, imagine something appearing, bright and shining white in front of you. And as they run away, frightened by this encounter, there's just something so earthy and relatable about this, isn't there? I feel like I can put myself into that situation. They react as any other human being would. They react in the same way that we would. Don't make me the only coward here. I'm sure you would react in the same way, right? And their minds are filled with the news of something that doesn't quite line up with their experience of the world. That this Jesus that they knew, who had lived and breathed in their midst, who they watched die in front of them and be buried in front of them just a few days prior, he's no longer dead, but is risen. The reality that they experienced has suddenly shifted into something that they can't understand. Even though Jesus had told them himself that this would happen, no one saw it coming except him. They had their own expectations about what a Messiah should look like after all. We've talked about this throughout our series, Make Things Right. So far, they they expected a conquering king who would put their enemies under his feet. And for this king to die, and to die by crucifixion especially, was so far outside of their expectations They couldn't possibly reconcile that with what their thoughts about the Messiah should be. The resurrection wasn't a possibility for them because death itself was not a possibility for them. You know what I mean mean there? They had waited for so long for the Messiah to come. If he dies like this, maybe Jesus wasn't the one they were waiting for. Maybe this doesn't make sense. How could he go out like that? Not even killed in battle trying to overthrow Rome, but tortured, killed in the most painful and shameful of devices, the cross. What makes things so unbelievable? And do you live in this way as well? When you think about our faith, what makes things so unbelievable for you? I mean, Jesus hadn't been wrong thus far. He not only did things that were far beyond anything they could believe, Including raising the dead, which, like, why wouldn't you believe at this point, right? But everything was always just as he said. So why wouldn't they believe? They, along with all the disciples, they've been with Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. So they heard everything he said about the passion. Everything that he predicted happened. He was tortured. He was killed. He told them, I'll be back. And they're like, no, he won't. They clearly didn't take him seriously when he talked about rising again after three days. We're an assumptive people. Like oftentimes, we can't really readily accept information that goes against our beliefs about this world or our experience of how this world goes. A lot of studies have shown even if something is a fact, like you read it, it's backed up, it's a fact, it won't do much to change our outlook on things if we're already set in our beliefs. In fact, it quite often, ironically, has the opposite effect. What's the point of facts, right? Like, it has the opposite effect, making us dig our heels in a little bit deeper. We don't like to believe that we could be wrong, our deepest beliefs could be wrong, so we double down on ourselves. We'd rather bet on our own experiences and on our own thoughts. Like, people in relationships know this, right? We're probably right. They're probably wrong, but they won't admit it. Last week, I announced very happy news that Bora and I are pregnant. After seven years of experience that told me otherwise, and particularly because of what doctors had told us, about us probably not being able to conceive, about us probably not being able to have children, I was pretty well convinced. You can imagine, right? Like, if a doctor tells you, you're like, okay, I think you're right. The way I found out that we were pregnant, okay, it was the welcoming day for first years. So first years, you guys are with me on this journey, right? Um, Bora was supposed to be meeting with these two women from church, Yunji and Yujin, at a cafe near our house, but she was feeling a little bit of pain. You know, she's telling me, oh man, I feel like my stomach is cramping up, and so she asked me, you know, hey, can you just drop me off on the way? It's like a very short walk from our house, but she must have been in some pain, and so I dropped her off, get to the first year's welcoming event, and then I get a message from Bora not long after, and this is very unusual, because she usually likes me to just be present, right? Asking me, hey, when are you coming home? And nothing's ringing in my head yet. I'm just like, oh, this is weird, you know, I wonder why. I wonder what's going on. You know, go through the rest of the day, and I get home. I ask if she's okay, and she's in our bedroom, and she says, hey, can you just throw away this plastic bag that's on our bed? I mean, it's from Chemist Warehouse. And I get the bag, apparently I do this, where before I throw anything away, I have to rummage through, make sure it's all rubbish. Oh, yeah, it's, you know, no, this isn't rubbish, okay. And so I'm rummaging through, and I see this pregnancy test. I'm so confused, I'm looking at this thing. If you've never seen one before, I hope most of you guys have never seen one before. Uh, that's what it looks like. I take it out and look at it for a little while, and I ask her, wait, were you cramping up that much that you took a pregnancy test? And it just doesn't make sense to me. And I'm still like examining this thing, it doesn't have many sides, so I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, Why is there a plus symbol? That's the weirdest part of all. Why does it say positive? Does that mean positive? It's either plus or minus, so it must mean positive. I just keep looking at it, and to me, pregnancy was so far outside of the realm of possibility that even a test that was designed for this express purpose and specifically told me otherwise, I was like, no, that can't be true. This doesn't make sense. I asked her after a while, Boy, are you pregnant? Like, just incredulously, and she said, yes. And I didn't believe her at first. So even with the reality of this test in front of me, the reason there are two tests in that photo is because I didn't believe her, so we had to go to Chemist Warehouse a second time, and I had to buy the test myself, we did it again, and I was pretty sure it was gonna be negative, and then it came back and it was positive. And then, like, I walked away, still unsure of what was going on in this world. What is this new reality that I've been transported into? My assumption about the world, particularly about our lives, was that we could not possibly have children. My experience told me otherwise. So even when evidence to the contrary came, I dismissed it. It didn't make sense. Jesus is the resurrected Lord who breaks the power of death. And differing views on this don't change that reality. Don't change the fact that he has risen. His resurrection matters to us because in believing upon him to have taken our place in death, we take on his place in life. His resurrection means our resurrection and his resurrection means our future resurrection as well. The empty tomb is a very ironic meeting place between God's reality and our assumptions. Do you see this? Like the guy, Mark, just what a writer, right? He has written this ironic meeting point. The people who come are consumed with death. That's all they're thinking about. Jesus is dead. We gotta give him a proper burial at least. Consumed with death, whereas Jesus is consumed with life. This morning, you come to a meeting point with God. You come with your minds, hearts, filled with your own thoughts, inclinations, loves, all sorts of things that might deviate a little bit from God. It might be colored by your experience of who God is or of your lives. And the question is, which one are you consumed by? Are you here today seeing only your own expectations and the reality of your experiences and thoughts in life? Or do you now see Jesus' death? Does your heart now cry out for his resurrection? John 16 tells us this. Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come but when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. We now have every day for the rest of our lives to celebrate Jesus' victory over death. It's the joy that we now live in. It's the joy that marks today, Easter Sunday. And we've been given power by the king to shatter the hold of death over those around us as well. Especially every year at Easter, we participate in something that points us once again to the great day to come. As Jesus rose from the grave, at his resurrection, in a new glorious body, one day, our bodies will put on the imperishable as we join Jesus in glory. And this should be a beautiful balm to our souls, to our aching wounds, to our scarred bodies and hurting hearts. Jesus tells us that it's not always gonna be this way. That just as his body was laid in, into the tomb, and then all was made new at his resurrection, so also, we will rise and every tear will be wiped away. So all of the pain, the grief, the loss of this day will give way. And it'll become kindling for this roaring fire of true and everlasting joy. Now, we now live between here until the day of his return and our resurrection in his ever-present and renewing grace. And throughout this series, Make Things Right, we've talked about the idea of home, how God created our first home for us in the Garden of Eden. And though we were banished from the Garden due to our sin, we lost that home that was designed to be this place of of peace, of wholeness, of shalom for us. We look forward to the day, the future day, of Jesus' return, his second coming, when we will enter into our last home. One day where we will never have to leave due to our indiscretion, due to our independence, but we'll live in perfect harmony with our Creator, our Redeemer, and our Father. Today's a very special day. We celebrate and take part in a God-ordained ceremony. It's a meal together called the Communion, or the Lord's Supper. It comes from the final meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, which took place during the Passover before his death. The Passover itself was a meal that recalled the final plague on Egypt as recorded in Exodus in which the firstborns of the land died while the Israelites who put the blood of the sacrificial lamb on their doorposts, they were spared. Passover pointed forward to the coming of the lamb of God, the true lamb who would forever take away the sins of the world through his sacrifice. As Jesus came, Died and was resurrected. He fulfilled the Passover. And he is the ultimate sacrifice on behalf of those who believe in him. And so, what we partake in today is a God ordained ceremony that is a sign and seal of the grace we receive from God. So, we're going to reenact together the gospel of grace. And in this, we experience this renewal of grace, which helps us to understand, to remember and to love what Jesus did for us. So by you participating in this as well, you testify of your faith in Jesus, and it's also a confirmation of our continued love and devotion to God. So it's both ways. We look back into the past, to what Jesus did, and we thank him for it. So it's very past-focused as well. We're reminded also in the present that it's God who nourishes us, And together, we look forward to the future day that we know is coming. As this meal also pictures the marriage supper of the Lamb at His glorious return. So the grace that's renewed in us is a freely given gift of God. We're undeserving and it's effective through the Holy Spirit and in the promise of the Word of God. Now, As I mentioned, today's a very special communion. If you've been around for a little while, we haven't done this in close to two years, I believe, uh, due to COVID, but today we begin a new pattern of life as we take part in this together on Easter Sunday as a celebration. We get to do this together for the first time in a long time. We remember his death and his resurrection. We live in the reality of his grace today, and we look forward to the future reality of the marriage supper at his return. And we'll take part in the communion. We're moving things a little bit, so we're no longer doing it once a year, but we'll be doing it on the first Sunday of each month. So there hopefully won't be such a long stretch of missing out on communion. And as we do this, there might be a temptation in our hearts. I, I recognize that once a year things, you look forward to it, you look forward to your birthday, but imagine if you had a birthday every month, right? Let's make sure that this doesn't become just a routine exercise, but let it be a time of receiving grace through appreciating and understanding the rich meaning of what you're participating in. Let me read for you some scripture from 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup for whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. As you heard in God's word today, the communion is for followers of Christ only. If you're not a follower of Christ, please do not take the communion as you would drink judgment upon yourself. And for followers of Jesus, the communion is for those who are not under current church discipline, uh, for those who are not living in unrepentant sin. So the command is to examine yourselves before coming forward to receive the communion. However, if you live in repentance and by faith in the grace of God, or if through the service you found the grace of God, then by all means come forward to receive the communion. I'm gonna invite the ministry directors to come forward uh, with the communion. They'll be at the front of each of the aisles. there will be two here as well. So we ask that As soon as you're ready, after you've prayed, after you've examined yourselves, that you come forward to receive the communion, please do not open it yet, but take it back to your seats and wait for everyone to be served so that we can take it together. And just a word uh, about the communion, it is in single servings uh, due to COVID. And so it might be a little bit odd to open. There's two layers to it. One layer is for the bread. Second layer is for the juice. So when you are ready, uh, please do come forward. Parents in the side room, have you guys been served as well? Yeah? No? Yeah, okay. All right. I hear people opening it already, so we will move forward with it. Um, The first layer is the body of Christ given for you. So go ahead and open it and take of the body of Christ. and then we'll conclude with a time of singing praises to our Lord. Father, we thank you for your unshakable plan. Even when men came forward, even when we came forward as part of the crowd, shout and crucify him, you made sure to make that part of your plan. That your son Jesus would obediently go to the cross and would die for our sins but not to remain dead, but that he would rise again on the third day, giving us new life in him. Thank you, Lord. On this Easter Sunday, as we take part in the communion together, God, we look to your son, we look to you for the hope that we have and the grace that we live in today, God. We pray that our hearts will be made new once again, that we will look to you and that we would worship you in all spirit and truth, and that we would fall deeper and deeper in love with you. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. Unite us in our passion and our praise for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.